I just want to tell you, it is so good to be back in Wichita, Kansas. Phoenix is too hot and too dry, and their clocks are wrong. <laughs> I am so happy to be home, and to be home on Father's Day especially. I, I want to take a moment as I begin this morning and just... I want, to, I want to kind of figure out who's here with us this morning and recognize our, our fathers. But before I really bear down on that, I want to figure out who's here. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm excited this morning to see Brother George back with us. Uh, been gone for a couple of weeks after his recent surgery. He's back with us. And George, that puts you in the driver's seat. You know that, right? At 89 years old, he is our reigning oldest father present. So unless we've got somebody here who can top that 89 years, uh, he's going to be recognized as our oldest father. Is there anyone here beyond that? Just 88? George, would you hurry up and have your birthday? I want you to get there, man. All right. Well, you know what? I've, I've broken with my tradition. And rather than a pie... I'm going to give you a book. I shouldn't give you this book. You should have written this book. It's entitled, The Man God Uses. And it's written by a father and son team of Henry and Tom Blackaby. But I also want to give you your annual report from the Southern Baptist Convention. So there's the book of reports in the daily bulletins. All right, brother? All right. Thank you, brother George. Now, I also want to figure out who's the father here with the youngest child present. And unless someone has snuck in, Brother David's going to be the guy. How, how old is Miss Emmy now? Five months and two days. Five months tomorrow, says Sally. That will be the correct answer. <laughs> is there anyone here who has a child with them younger than that? All right, and Brother David, I want you to be the man God uses, all right, in that young lady's life. God bless you. Now, here's where it gets fun. What dad has the most children with him here today? All right, I'm going to look over this direction because I, I see one family. You got four with you. Anyone else got four with them? Down here, back there. All right, we're loaded up with the fours. Anybody top the four? Got another four over there. I got four fours. I feel like an auctioneer. <laughs> Would you guys all stand up for me, please? Because I am going to present one of these books to each one of you. I had no idea, but you guys, this is all the books. It, you know, I, I'm just so thankful, though, and I, I just pray that you will be a man that God can use in your family's life. I know that, you know, Carl, you're, you're past the daddy in stage. You're granddaddy in now, but that's still a good thing. Read that and pass it on to those sons, son-in-laws. Get them in that deal, okay? This is fun. I get to see the back of your heads. I like this. That doesn't happen very often. And this guy planned this perfectly. He sat right on a walkway so I could get right in here to him. It is awesome, man. God bless you. Glad your families are here with us today and that you brought your children to be in God's house. That's a tremendous testimony right there, fathers. Ryan, God bless you, man. 
Now I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask all of our dads, if you're a father here today, would you just stand for a moment? Just stand up, dads, all across this room. God has given you a responsibility, a privilege, myself as well. We are encouraged by God's word to train up our children, to teach in the ways of the Lord. I challenge you, men, be faithful. I thank you for the investment you're making in the lives of your children. Some of you are looking at me and you're saying, well, man, you don't understand where I'm at in life. My kids are, so, my kids are almost ready to take care of me now. You know what? I'm one of those kids that's getting to that place with my dad, but can I tell you something? I am so thrilled that I have the opportunity to honor him in these later days in his life. Guys, we are blessed from beginning to end. Don't ever forget that God has placed a blessing in your life, even though sometimes it may test your patience and your faith. Be faithful. Gentlemen, can I pray for you this morning? Would you let me do that? Let's bow together. Father, I know that within this room, there are men who represent every stage of life. There are men who have no biological children, but yet still they, they father kids in the church. They, they parent, they love, they mentor. Among these men standing, there are those with small children and those whose children are grown. Perhaps even some who have children who've gone on to glory now. Father, the investment that they have made in the lives of children cannot be measured in words alone, nor can it be rewarded adequately with a, a simple book or a thank you. But Father, I pray for each one of these men, standing and seating, that they would be representatives of you and your kingdom values, that they would teach your ways and challenge their families to walk in them. And now, fathers, we open your word and we look at the portrait of a father. I, I pray that you would teach us what we need to know today. That we might more effectively serve you in the days to come. Bless these men. Watch over them and guide them. Steer their course, Father, to bring glory and honor to you. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, dads. You are appreciated today. I want you to know that. This morning, we're going to look together in Genesis chapter 22. If you brought a Bible, I want you to, to get there. Genesis chapter 22, not the normal place. I, I know you probably thought, well, he's going, to, he's going to preach about the father of the prodigal. No. No, I'm not. I want us to see together this morning the reward that is gained by modeling one's faith. And Genesis chapter 22 has a marvelous picture of this in a father-son relationship that most of us know about and have read in the past. It's a story of Abraham and Isaac. And in this account, we see Abraham's submission to God. It's an amazing thing to behold in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham to fulfill his plan. He promised him land. He promised him an heir. He promised him his blessings. But in order to bring about the fulfillment of those promises, Abraham had to have a son. Years passed. Doubt began to creep in. 
And in an attempt to hurry God's plan, Abraham had a son with Hagar as a result of Sarah's counsel. And that son, Ishmael, however, was not the son that God intended. And because of his birth, well, been a lot of trouble. Still is. Finally, Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. He's the one that's known as the son of the promise. Abraham loved him deeply. And then God gave Abraham the biggest test of his life. And that's what we're going to read about together this morning. Genesis chapter 22 We're going to begin our reading at verse 1. If you have your Bible open, I'm going to invite you to stand and read with me this morning as we look together at the Word of God. God's inspired Word. Folks, it's accurate. It's true. Matt, I'm going to ask you if you just help me through these verses, all right? Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 1, we read, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Father, I thank you that you are a God of provision. That even when we go through times of testing, you are faithful. 
even when the way seems unclear to us, you are unwavering. And Father, I pray now that as we spend these moments just considering these verses, that you would call out to our hearts, challenge us, call us to follow you, invite us to walk in your way, and give us the courage and grace needed to do so. Father, teach us your ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One day, God called Abraham and commanded him to go and offer up as a sacrifice, a burnt sacrifice, his son, Isaac, the son of the promise, the one through whom the promises of God were supposed to be fulfilled and the nations of the earth were to be blessed. For most of us, a call like that would be cause to stop, back up, think about it, pray about it, discuss it with God at length, do everything we could to postpone, to delay, to put off. Abraham's response was immediate. Abraham's response was full. He yielded himself to God's direction. It was undoubtedly the biggest and most important test of his life. I've preached this text numerous times over the last several decades, and I'm sure I will preach it more. And I could preach this message from a number of different directions, and we could look at a multitude of different things. But this morning, for our purpose, I just want us to see three portraits that are revealed in this passage of Scripture. Three portraits that we need to set our sights on. The first portrait is that of a father's faith in God. A father's faith in God. God calls to Abraham in the early verses of this chapter, and he directs him in verse 2 to take his son, his only son Isaac, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I've always been amazed by the beginning of verse 3 where I read, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He got up ready to go. He got up ready to obey. He got up ready to do what God had called him to do, even though it would be the most difficult thing he would ever do in his lifetime. He was being tested. He was being tested in regard to his willingness to obey God's command. Listen, sometimes when we're tested, we need to remember that whether we pass or fail that test is going to have an impact, a long-reaching, long-ranging impact upon our lives, upon our family, upon the future. Our response needs to be sudden. It needs to be sure. It needs to be complete. I look across this room, and I know many of you men, I understand something because I can say this from the depths of my own heart. As a man with children and grandchildren, this would be the most desperate and dire test that could come in life. But Abraham responded in obedience. Why? Because he wanted the best for his life, and he wanted the best for his family. 
Gentlemen, I want to tell you something this morning. I think that's what all of us want for our families. That's what we want for our lives. We want God's best. I want God's best for my wife. I want God's best for my children. I want God's best for my grandchildren. But knowing God and obeying God is the surest way we have to bring that about in our lives. Abraham knew God. The question was, would he obey God? And he did. It wasn't just, will you do what I say? It was a test of faith. You see, God had already made his promises to Abraham. You can go back in about chapter 12 and start reading from there. And God is constantly telling Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to work through you. Here's how I'm going to bless you. Here's how I'm going to bless the world through you and through your family and through your descendants. Abraham accepted God's call to leave his, the home of his childhood because he believed God's promises. In fact, you can look over in Romans chapter 4. And it tells you about Abraham there. It says he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. What in the world is that talking about? I'm not 100% sure, except that I know he trusted God to fulfill his word. So much so that did you notice what it said down there in verse 5? Once they reached the place, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. He knew what he was there for. He knew that he was there to sacrifice his son as a, a son as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. He was going to slay his son and yet he said to his servants, we're going to go over there and worship. We're going to do what God calls us to do, but then we're going to come back. Folks, this is a statement of faith. Even if God allows me to do what he has called me to do, somehow, some way, we're coming back. I don't know how God is going to do what God is going to do, but God is going to do it. Why? Because he's God. He can do that. Listen, a, a father's greatest strength in relationship to his family, in relation to a to his children lies in submitting to God and to God's principles by obeying and trusting and following the Lord's leadership in life. We're living in a time where so many families are in disarray, but I want to tell you the key to family harmony and direction is for a father to assume responsibility for leading his family. Guys, sometimes it's kind of hard to hear, but you got to hear it. God put us in a place of leadership in our homes, and we are responsible for teaching and instructing and warning and providing discipline for our homes, for our families, for our children. We're supposed to be giving leadership to our kids. At the same time, protecting them so that we don't irreparably wound their spirits by harshness or overcorrection. You now, people say, well, what are you talking about there? I was reading an article just a few weeks ago and I, don't, I would cite it, but I can't remember for the life of me what it was in. It was a journal that was online. I'd seen articles like it through the years. They had surveyed teenagers, middle school and high school age students, asking them what they wanted. If they could change anything, what would they want to change about their fathers? 
And up near the very top of that list, I think they were number two and number four in this particular list, were these two things. Number one, they wish they wouldn't lose their temper so quickly. I get it. Secondly, they wished that dads would acknowledge when they're wrong and just say, I'm sorry. That's a good word, guys. Because we struggle with that. Is it weak to say I'm wrong? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done it. No. It's just honest. Our kids want honesty from us, and they want us to be understanding. See, when we're understanding, we don't fly off of the handle. We, we listen. We, we embrace. We understand. We, we give them that moment to let the truth out. Wise spiritual leadership in the home is going to take those matters into consideration. The father also stimulates the faith of his children, gives encouragement to their faith by giving them time and, and nurture and mentoring and instruction. I look at Abraham and Isaac in this story, and the relationship is visible there. Even though it's not drawn out in great length, it's visible there. They went on this journey together. Isaac had no apprehension. And that leads me right to the second portrait I want, to, want you to see this morning, and that is a son's faith in his father. What an amazing portrait this is. They go on this journey. Isaac knows where they're going as much as his dad did. I mean, they're going toward the, this mountain range. They're, they're waiting for God to show them the exact place. He knows they're going to make a burnt offering to the Lord. Can I tell you something I think about Isaac? I think Isaac adored his daddy. Every step of this story indicates that Abraham and Isaac had a close relationship. They traveled together to the spot where the sacrifice was to be made. It wasn't until they were almost there that Isaac scratched his head all of a sudden and said, Hey, Dad, we got the wood, we got the fire, we got the knife. Did we forget something? Where's the lamb? His father said, the Lord will provide. Good enough for him. Dad said, climb the hill. Up the hill we went. There had to be more to the story. (laughs) There's just got to be. Abraham built the altar. He arranged the wood. And then the scriptures tell us he bound his son Isaac and placed him on the wood. I love my dad. I've always loved my dad. But I'm not so sure we're going down that road without a little discussion. Maybe even a little bit of a struggle. But we don't read about that. All we read is that Abraham bound his son. And then he gently placed him on the wood on top of the altar. Now, we always read this passage and we talk about Abraham's faith being tested, but I want to tell you something. Oh, Isaac's going through a little test here too. But you know something this reminded me of when I was reading this? Children have a desire, especially sons, I think, have a desire to please their daddy. 
they struggle. Listen, can I tell you something? There are probably some adult men in this room this morning who are still struggling emotionally and mentally trying to figure out why you couldn't please your father. It happens. Not every dad is affirming. Not every dad expresses that love and that compassion and shows uh, that acceptance and reveals that pride in their children. But I, I just want to encourage you, if you're one of those men, don't repeat it. Break the cycle. Take the time to let your children know you're proud of them, that you love them. Affirm them. They want that. They need that. Daughters need it too. You see, understanding that we are loved by our parents, receiving that affirmation from them, that, that's one of those tools that helps us to learn how to follow God. I'm going to tell you something I've learned about children and students through the years. When there is no desire to please their parent, usually that desire has been driven out or destroyed by the sin in the life of the parent. Whether it's abuse, neglect, abandonment, or whatever. There's a reality that we've got to come to grips with, church. I know we live in an age of, of, of broken families, of fragmented and blended and all kinds. I mean, we can throw all kinds of terms out there, but here's a reality we've got to come to grips with. God works through daddies and mamas to shape children. That's why he made the family the way he did. That's why he put a man and a woman together and told them to be fruitful and multiply, to reproduce, to fill the earth. The amazing truth is that God works through men and women and, and they are his tools to develop mature attitudes in the lives of God's own sons and daughters. We live in a culture that's breaking down. I, listen, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But there are consequences. There are consequences that we're already seeing, consequences we're already living with, consequences we are already experiencing, and they're not going to go away. If a father fails to take responsibility, if the family disintegrates, the family is then deprived of God's best. When mom's in the home by herself with the kids, dad has, has fled the scene. Extra pressure is put on mother and children. The likelihood of them living and growing up in poverty is astronomical. Whenever dad exits stage right, protection is removed from the family. It's just like being out in the middle of one of these massive Kansas rainstorms and folding up the umbrella and saying, I don't need it. Friend, you're going to get wet. And what follows after that? Let me tell you from the parade of people who've come through my office. Father goes on through life with a sense of guilt he can never quite get rid of. He knows something's missing, but he can't figure out how to get back to it. It affects his relationship with the woman that he made a vow to. It affects his relationship with his children. And as those children become adults, their lives are altered as well. It's not pretty. 
But when parents accept their responsibilities, fulfill their vows, live out their commitments, it gives children a framework within which they know to whom they must be submissive, to whom they should surrender their hearts and their lives and their will. And here in this text, we see that submission being so beautifully described in the life of Isaac and in the life of Abraham. Anything less than that has a a ring of rebellion to it, and rebellion is just pleasing in the sight of God. Listen, gentlemen, I want you to hear me this morning. A father is free. You are free to not accept the spiritual responsibility of leadership in your home and in your family. You're free to not accept it. But you are not free to escape the consequences that follow your decision. So if you're thinking, well, I'm going to do this, and I don't care what God thinks. Once I do this, I'll be happy. Listen to me. That's Satan's lie to you. You will not be happy. You will be miserable because you are living outside of God's will for you, and you have destroyed his best for your family. Listen, I know this isn't easy. It's not pretty, but it's just the truth, and we need to face truth. Now, I told you there were three portraits. Those first two are kind of tough to get through. The third one's easy, I think. And so let's get there, can we? The first two portraits were a father's faith in God, a son's faith in his father. But the third portrait is the faithfulness of God. Because it is revealed so clearly in this text. If you've got your Bible open, I want you to go back and look. Beginning at verse 11. Abraham has done what he was to do. He has built the altar. He has laid the wood. He has bound his son. He has placed his son on the altar. He has taken the knife in his hand. He is an instant away from doing what God sent him there to do. And in verse 11 we read, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I don't think it was quite that calm. In fact, I'm not sure those three words hadn't, wouldn't have been separated with a sob in between each word because I think this daddy's heart was breaking as he raised that knife. And the angel said, do not lay a hand on that boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Wow. God invited Abraham to consider the unthinkable. To look at what in my heart and mind is the undoable. It was never God's intention to see Isaac die at the hand of his father. It was God's intention to discover how deep Abraham's love for his heavenly father was. How devoted was the son Isaac to his father and to the God of his father. 
And once that answer was discovered, God provided. In my own imagination, I imagine Abraham looking up and seeing that ram through the tears in his eyes. And it had to be the most beautiful thing he had ever laid eyes on. To me, the amazing thing when we read this story is, is the irony of this event that's lost on so many of us. God tested the man to see, does this man have the capacity to love me so much that he would give his son, his only son, for me? And then centuries later, tables turned and the heavenly father showed the man that he loved him so much he would give his only son as a sacrifice and at Calvary Jesus provided again the lamb the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not, not just a ram caught in a thicket. Not just any critter. But the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. And God did what is to me. And to most of us I believe the unthinkable. He sacrificed his son. So that we might live. And in doing so, what he did was he taught us how fathers ought to love. And so let's just get down to the points for a minute, can we? Dad, how are you doing as a leader in your home? I want to encourage you. Take charge. If you haven't been leading... Man, today would be a great day to confess that failure to God, even to admit that failure to your wife and to your children and, and seek forgiveness and then step up. Families are struggling today and part of the struggle is due to the fact that we men need to reestablish our priorities. We need to reestablish our priorities. We need to focus on our own personal and spiritual growth. Then we need to be focusing on nurturing our wives and our children so that they are growing spiritually. Then we get down to our work, to our ministry. But understand, he gave you your family before he gave you the other things. I guess what I'm trying to say, guys, is this. It's time for us to take action. Take action. Let your family see you. Reading God's word. Let them hear you praying and praying for them. Lead your family in, in Bible reading, in prayer, in sharing. Teach your children God's word. Have a regular time of prayer with your children and with your wife. And finally, work on developing attitudes that will encourage your family. Things like love. And faith and patience and hope. Ladies, I'm about to say something and I don't want to hear an amen. 
because this is just honesty. There's not a perfect father in the house except for the one who owns the house. We are called to follow him, moms and dads alike, all of his children. We need to do everything in our power to make our families and our homes strong, to give our children an environment to grow up in so that they can know the ways of the Lord. That can't happen. That can't happen, Mom and Dad, unless we know the Lord. We have to know Him and we have to live Him before them. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Him, I want you to know that that lamb of God that I was talking about, it wasn't a furry little ram caught in a thicket. It was the only begotten Son of God. It was Jesus Christ, God in flesh, third person, Trinity. This was the one who came down from glory, put on human flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, went to the cross, and when he went to the cross, he who knew no sin became sin. He took our sin upon himself so that when he died, our sin was paid for by his shed blood. And he offers forgiveness and salvation and cleansing to all who will come to him in confession and repentance. Have you had that experience? Man, if you have, you're born again. If you have, you're a child of the king. If you have it, today there's a savior who's waiting for you. Would you come to him? Say, pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the kind of life I've lived. You don't know the things I've gotten involved in. You don't know the people I've been around. You don't know the scars that I'm carrying. I just want to tell you something this morning. I want you to hear me. It doesn't matter. If God is calling you, come to him. If the father in the story of the prodigal tells us anything, it's that he is watching us and he is looking for us and he is waiting for us. And when he sees us coming, he's going to meet us on the road home and welcome us. Don't let anything you've done keep you from what God has to offer you today. You need a savior? I want you to meet Jesus. He's the only one who can deliver you. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a a song of commitment. I will always give you the opportunity to respond to the word of God, the voice of God. It may be that you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, You want to. You know something's missing. You want to get that set right. Today, you can call on him. In a moment, when we stand and begin to sing, if you'd like some help in getting that done, you're not sure what to do, come. I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I'd love to visit with you. I'd love to pray with you, show you from the word of God how you can become his child today. Dad, maybe there's something that God's kind of touched your heart about this morning. Mom, maybe it's you. Would you let him direct you? Would you let him steer you? Would you let him do in your life what he desires to do to make you the person, the parent, the spouse he wants you to be? Would you let him turn you into the child of God he created you to be? Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is you're dealing with,
Hear his voice. Seek his direction. Walk in it. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, it's, it's challenging. We look into the eyes of these people of faith. And we have to ask ourselves, could I do that? Could I do that? Yes. Where faith grows, the impossible becomes possible. And Father, it may be that in this room there are some hearts in which faith needs to grow today. Perhaps to be birthed in this very moment. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to respond in obedience. Father, I I pray for us across this room. There may be some husbands and wives sitting here. Their relationship is strained. They've grown apart. There are wounds that are deep and painful. I pray, Father, that today close that gap, bring them together. Bind up those wounds. Give healing. Restore, renew, refresh. Make that marriage and that home solid again. Because you're the only one who can do it. And Father, I pray that you would give to us as a church an understanding that we must shine light. We must stand for your word and your way because the world is turning from it. And you've called us to be salt and light. Lord, grow our conviction and let us not waver from your ways. Father, you've spoken through your word. I know you're speaking through your spirit. I pray now, give us ears to hear. Help us to follow and be obedient. Have your way in this time, Father, for I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.